Welcome to the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard. We're on episode 63 of Good Doctrine, and today we are rounding out our series in ancient and not-so-ancient heresies, and today we'll be talking about Montanism when we get around to the uh, to the topic. But uh, we hope this series in ancient heresies has been helpful. I've had fun doing it. There's obviously oodles, to use my favorite word. Um, if you if you if you were to Google ancient heresies, which could be really dangerous, googling anything in general can be really dangerous. But I just noticed when I when I Googled ancient heresies, you, you can quickly tell that some people just put things they don't like or want to misconstrue as a right, heresy right. on there. But in any case, um, there are oodles of actual Christian heresies that the early church had to fight through. Um, but but what's so interesting about so many of these heresies, and I think that all the ones we've covered so far and including today's, um, they're not old heresies these aren't things that the church you know once and for all defeated back at the you know ex council they're they're things that pop up in wrong teachings and in wrong beliefs throughout the course of church history and and Mm -hmm. many of them we see today and that's honestly in my i mean that's what i've and i don't want to say enjoyed so much about this series but in looking at these heresies um at first i thought whoa this is going to be like kind of a historical look at like the ancient church and you know we'll see like all the things that we've like you said we've kind of conquered right but thank uh, goodness we've moved past all that yeah 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 but you know the thing that we've made the staple of this series is how is this uh showing itself today how is this heresy showing itself today and it's really from all the ones that we've covered it is not a big leap to show that you know this these things have they, they might have been denounced as heresies thousands of years ago but that doesn't mean that they're done for and i think it's why sometimes as a as a christian leader or as a christian pastor but even for even for any christian who is working through kind of our you know beliefs of the faith and talking about confessions and and our creeds and our statements of faith it's almost kind of tiring sometimes. Like, when are we going to finally move past some of this stuff? Like, mm-hmm. when are people finally going to stop skewing certain things and going unbiblical routes with certain things? Never. Um, take a little bit of comfort. I mean, that that's just, I don't want to say our lot in life, but that's that's the experience of us living in a fallen world. Yeah. We're yeah. going to keep, you know, denying truth. We're going to keep seeking out darkness. And I mean, not we as in the church, but well, we as in humanity. Also, it's an encouragement that Satan doesn't really have any new tricks. This is true. Yeah. yeah like, we're, we're not unaware of his designs. Right? And, and if we can inform ourselves and if we can uh, study the scriptures well enough to know, you know, what the what the uh, the, the, the the true and right um, rule and practice of faith says, then we can very easily see what the uh, counterfeit is. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know that there's that, we haven't talked about this, and I'm really surprised we haven't talked about this illustration, but there's that illustration of, you know, the counterfeit, the, the guy, the FBI, who who is in the counterfeit department, he doesn't study all the various different counterfeit $100 bills. Right. He knows frontward and backwards and, and both sides of what the uh, legitimate $100 bill looks like so that he can so very easily spot the counterfeit ones. And and that's what our intention is. You know, we don't want to just, like, fill up everyone's head with, with facts and figures regarding ancient heresies, but it's what does the, uh, the, the Word of God say, and how does the Word of God refute these, these aberrant beliefs? Yeah, that's, that's why Paul told us, you know, hold fast, cling to what is good, and abhor or hate what is evil. Yeah. We're supposed to be so grounded in God's Word that those other things will be, be quite apparent as not. That's good. So, um, but, but before we get into uh, our topic today of Montanism uh, and that ancient heresy, let's talk about, there's, there's one particular story that I kind of saw at a glance, but that you said you read this whole article. Can you, can you talk to us about this news story? You need story? a music intro to the, in the news, by the way, like one of those Dateline type, dun, 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 you know. Okay, maybe that'll happen. Edit that in later. Um, <laughs> so yeah, in the news, I, I read one that when, when I, when I relay this, it's going to initially just sound like I'm trying to be just a you know, bombastic or have some, some crazy story to just, you know, jostle people for no reason. The story is about, and I'll just throw this out here and then, then I'll explain why it so caught my attention. The story is about a so-called female pastor in California who is now doing pornography online. Um, so the story was obviously provocative and it was, you know, pastor turned porn stars, how, how the article I think was titled or something like that, man, Uh, do what clickbait. Yeah, it's a clickbait type type title. But when I read the story, and I was because number one, I was interested, just like how on earth does such a thing happen? Yeah, um, even in this world, how does such a thing happen? I started reading it, and it was really, really interesting in this regard. 
Um, I'm not going to debate all of the things I could debate about that story. How how this woman her 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 testimony is that she was at a mega church and she was like grabbed out of line because of her exuberant personality or something. Mm. And um, what was interesting to me though was when she started talking about what I would what I would call her descent into sin. Um, you know, like her kind of spiraling into sin. Although she described it as a good and and you know right thing that she's now doing, mm. doing shameful acts online, and how her kids even know about this. It was a horrific oh, article. But here's the point I wanted to make: when she described not only her quote unquote ministry as a quote unquote pastor, but also why she thinks that that set her up for what she's doing now, she said, "Well, it's just being a performer." Oh, and she okay. said, they picked me out because I've always been blessed with being able to perform well and speak well and really work people up. And I so enjoyed it because it was like art. I could perform on the stage. And, and, and you're talking about her, what, what she described being a pastor. As, as a pastor. Yeah, that's what she said nice. she was doing. And then she talked about doing other things as performance art and how her life kept going and kept going until right now. Now she's doing, again, online pornography. And she says, but it's a way I can express myself. And she uses the same wording for what she's doing now, for what she was doing then, and what it reminded me of, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put the picture on our uh, Facebook page, but it's a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, a long time before us, who said there will come a time when instead of pastors leading the sheep, you'll have clowns entertaining the goats. Yeah, that's what she described. That's honestly, I was able to perform in such a way as to whip up a crowd. Yeah. And yet they called her a pastor of a Christian church. That's fascinating because we, uh, a lot of times we approach the argument for, and we don't think we've had a podcast yet on female pastors, but a lot of times I hear the argument approached on the grounds of biblical, a biblical basis for female pastors. Right. But that doesn't seem to be what this woman's basis for being a pastor was. No, no. Or, or this church, you said, like, kind of pulled her out and said, hey, you have, you seem to have the gift gift of of performance. You have the gift of well, influencing influencing people. Her quote, her quote from the pastor, and again, this is all this is all her story. Who knows what was actually said? But I'm just taking her word for it. Her, she said that the pastor said, "Have you ever thought of yourself as a theologian because you are one?" My initial thought was, from everything I'm reading in this story, his definition of theologian is far different because you and I have said that before. Everyone's Every Christian's a, yeah. a theologian. What Every we mean is. is is that everybody has articulated in their mind opinions and thoughts about who God is. Right. You have done theology. What he was talking about was something just completely removed from God. This was yeah. just, hey, you're a good performer. You're a good artist on stage. You yeah. hold attention well. I think this kind of bleeds into uh, you know, our current culture's um, fasc- uh, not fascination, but uh, habit of redefining words. Right. You know, like that's something that we keep seeing a lot. Oh, like yeah. Last week in the news, um, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, the, the the Supreme Court nominee right now, was blasted because she talked about sexual preference. And then immediately, like within 24 hours, uh, I think it was Merriam-Webster or Oxford you know, Dictionary changed the expression, yeah. sexual preference. It was Merriam-Webster oh, yeah. online. So, I mean, yeah. like we have a habit of redefining terms, and then we say this all the time, that words and their meanings matter. Yeah, they do. So we can't just throw around, throw around Christianese and expect to be understood because this uh, supposed Christian pastor asked this woman, have you ever thought about being a theologian and then put her in a position to perform? Yeah. It's, and, and then the word pastor, you know, what is a pastor? Well, that's why we want to let our Christianity be defined by the Bible and right. terms be defined by the Bible, not, you know, not even so-called godly people. Yep. It, that's just it's fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. It, it it brought to mind for me that the two things that bugged me the most, I think, from the article were, were number one, the tendency of people in Western civilization today that when we talk about scriptural verses and when I'll just plead with people, like, the Bible seems to say this clearly, does it not? And the response is, well, this is what I get from that. Uh-huh. This is what I feel from that passage. Yeah. Um, that's going to play a little bit into our Montanism discussion Absolutely. here in a minute. But number one, let the Bible speak for itself. Words are important. God knows how to use words. Let him define what he means. But then secondly is this idea, like you said, it, it, it's an unhealthy... We, we it, it, in a, in, I'm not going to like go all old man on everybody, but we obviously have celebrities and athletes as our 
authorities in society and Western civilization. We pay them yeah. millions of dollars. We care more about what a basketball star says politically than about what, you know, our, our representatives and leaders actually say. Um, it's just such a backwards way of thinking. We do this with the pastorate too, where mm. we would never say it, but we want somebody on the stage, quote unquote, who can perform well, who can hold an audience, who's got who's an convincing. engaging personality. Do it. Who's convincing. Yeah, who's convincing. That's what people flock to. Mm-hmm. They don't flock to the steady uh, deep exposition of God's word by men who are passionately following Christ. That doesn't seem to attract the masses the same way as a, uh, you know, a one-liner, quick-quoting yeah. personality on stage does. So, yeah, be, beware of those things. Beware of the the clowns leading the goats. Good grief! <laughs> the headline should have been "Attention-starved woman moves from one one attention-starved act to another." Yeah. Um. But 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 it's fascinating that that it's worded this way. That you know. Former pastor turned porn star, you know, whatever it, whatever, which I saw that and I immediately was like, I saw that it was a picture of a woman and I was like, yeah, go figure. Like this is, it always happens. But how should Christians now, other than just being dismissive, like it sounds like we're kind of being or dismissive or, or, or just like blase about this, but should this affect Christians in any way? Like, uh, do you think someone might come against a Christian and say, "Oh, look, you know, apparently Christianity is so powerful. This woman turned into a porn star. You know, whatever." Like, yeah. how should Christians respond to this? Other than just saying, "Well, like, well, examining what the word pastor actually means, what the word theologian actually means, yeah. and what this woman's explanation." Of I mean, being good those grief. Things. There's there's so many issues in in this particular story. If if someone was to ask me what I thought about it, I would just say that. That story has so many issues. I couldn't begin to define them, but that that woman desperately needs prayer because she needs to sure. she needs to experience God's gift of repentance and faith. Yeah, because it does not seem at all like the testimony of someone who's experienced that. So, I mean, that would be my encouragement to the Christian. Don't don't. I mean, we could talk about the role of a pastor. We could talk about um, you know the issue of pornography. We could talk about all those different things, but those are just symptoms, really, of the, the core problem. This seems to be a very unsaved woman who has no articulation of the gospel, who clearly doesn't know what a Christian is. Yeah, let's pray for that. I okay, mean, that's good. I would say I think that's really good and helpful. Um, and also, you know, helpful that that story kind of does lead us into our topic of Montanism because you, we talked about redefining terms and basing you know our kind of spirituality on experiences and, yeah, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, but before we get into that, let's. Yeah, you had another one, didn't you? Yeah, so um, I think that a couple of weeks ago I updated everyone. One of the things that I, I mentioned in the news, uh, and this is not, you know, American news, but since oh, we— well, then skip this, then. <laughs> I don't care. Since since we're, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I are moving to France next year um, in order to be missionaries and church planners, we're kind of keeping up with French news. But one of the things, things that happened a couple of weeks ago is the president of France— um, introduced a bill that that he hopes to become law that would ban homeschooling. Now, mm. the reason why they introduced this bill was it, it very explicitly, very expressly, and you can listen back to a couple podcasts ago where I talk about it, but it was very explicitly to ban radicalization of uh, Islamic children. So apparently what's happening in France is uh, Islamic families are opting out of uh, school and they're sending their children to be educated in mosques and and you know kind of uh, Muslim schools and, okay. and and French people are not about that yeah. so whatever but his sole reason for outlawing homeschool and and and, uh, and wanting um, Muslim French people or French Muslim people to be uh, in what, what the, the Republic of France so they call it Republican schools was so that they could become ingratiated into French culture and become French. Okay. They expressly say that the perp- they don't they don't talk about schools and I'm talking about for children. They don't talk about schools as an education center. Uh, the way the French speak about schools is that they are a way for children to become French, to understand French principles and understand French values. Well, this past week, uh, I think it was Friday, a school teacher in a town right outside of Paris, was beheaded by a, uh, I think he was a, a man from Chechnya, so it's, you know, former Soviet Union, I think right near Russia, but a, a Muslim man, and a, a school teacher was beheaded outside of the school uh, with a knife by Goodness. a Muslim. The reason why I wanted to bring this up, and I, and I kind of mentioned the ban on homeschool, is the reason why he was beheaded is because this French teacher in his... 
I, I, he was a like a, a teacher of children. I don't even think it was like high schoolers. It was like so middle school age. Mm. Um, but he was showing they were they were having a discussion about religious freedom and exp- and freedom of expression. I think, and he was showing the class the uh, Charlie Hebdo, which is you know in 2015 there was a a terrorist attack in Paris that killed 17 people, and it was because this satirical uh, magazine published. Uh, what, what do you call those cartoons? Caricature of Muhammad, mm. which you know in, in Islam you're not allowed to show depictions of the Prophet Muhammad, right. uh, as they call him, and uh, and so people went and killed the people who worked at the newspaper. Well, this teacher showed students those pictures, and there was apparently a uh, a Muslim boy who was in there uh, in the class. He went home and told his parents, and somehow someone related to them went and killed the teacher uh, a couple Good weeks later. Grief. So here, here's my here's my point. The president's stated reason for banning uh, home education in France was to prevent this kind of thing from happening. But it looks like this kind of thing is more liable to happen in state schools than in homeschooling. Oh yeah. Because how else would a would a state employee you know a state employee is not going to show my children pictures of the Prophet Muhammad and risk their lives, uh, right. you know, in my house, right? So th- this kind of thing, this kind of thing is happening all over the world. And 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 when you think of France, and I've gotten a lot. I knew this was going to happen when we started talking about moving to France uh, for missions. But people immediately, when they think of France, they think of oh, it's such a beautiful country. Right. Uh, it's it's so you know the art and architecture and the food and the wine and the cheese and the ha 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 and everyone smokes <laughs> and all that. You know, everyone has this picture of what France is like, and and France is. It seems like a civilized Western country, and it is. I'm not saying you know French people are savages or whatever, but it is a civilized country. But these things are happening. Evil is still happening. This this savagery, you know, a man being beheaded outside of a school. This savagery is happening in civilized countries because sin is sin, regardless of where it's at. Uh, So we don't hear about this happening a lot in the United States, Uh, and when it does happen in the United States, it's huge news. But I, I doubt that many of our listeners have heard of this story, mm. but this kind of stuff is happening all over the world in all types of countries. So that being said, do not get comfortable as an American in our in our little bubble where we think that we are kind of the peak of human civilization right now, and we're uh, and even like American Christians, you know, we're kind of untouched by sin, and and everything's great, and our schools are great, and we have the American flag flying in our classrooms, and they say the Pledge of Allegiance, and they're allowed to pray in schools. We're not far behind the rest of the world uh, in this, and that's kind of a we, we haven't we haven't. I think we talked about humanism at one point on on this podcast, but yeah. that's kind of the humanistic idea, and it, it infiltrates Christian thinking as well. When we think, well, we're better, yeah. So, like you know, yeah, they have violence in third world countries and things, but really, what they need is just more education. They need to be smarter. They need to be you know have a better government they need to have more money well and that, that's food. what the french president's mindset is is like in order right. to stop this savagery they need to come to our schools like yeah. what, what on earth is that gonna that's, do that's the humanist ideal yeah. and then like you're saying though that doesn't solve that yeah because our hearts is, are depraved and desperately wicked absolutely absolutely so um who knows what the french government will decide i think it's december 3rd they're going to decide on whether or not to ban homeschooling mm. i don't know if this is going to be a uh uh, a point for either side, you know, on the issue. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, because everything is politicized. Even a, a man with a family being beheaded outside of the school he teaches at is politicized. So, um, anyway. What it's we really should, hard for me to wrap my head around this story, honestly. It's pretty wild, isn't it? It is. It's what, hard to wrap my we, head around. We should pray for the salvation of the people in France. We should Absolutely. pray for this man's family. Um, pray, I mean, the the man who did it is was shot and killed. But, um, goodness, I mean, this this kind of savagery is not far from our doorstep. The sin that was in that man's heart is in our hearts. Yeah. Um, he was born dead in his trespasses and sins just like we were. So uh, this isn't a Muslim prom- problem. This isn't a French problem. It isn't a third world country problem. It's a sin problem. Right. So we should we should consider it like that. Yeah. So that being said, let's move into our topic uh, today, which is Montanism. Now, we've defined heresy a lot, uh, but would you care to kind of little blurb. What is heresy? What is Montanism? How is it a heresy? Absolutely. So when we talk about heresies uh, for the purposes of our podcast, and there's many definitions one could look up, but just for our purposes, we're talking about a false doctrine that attacks our knowledge of the one true God. So really, when we talk about heresies, 
more often than not, we're centering those around how we understand the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, one God and three persons. Um, that's that's really what we're kind of restricting heresies to. So if you have a disagreement, if someone is teaching wrong biblical doctrine on, you know, for example, to use one of our examples from earlier, um, the role of a pastor in the church or, you know, who is called to the role of a pastor in a church. If you have a disagreement over that, that's not, not really challenging our knowledge of the one true God. Right. It right. would be a wrong teaching. We could talk about, you know, wrong teachings, wrong beliefs. But when we talk about heresies, usually we're restricting those to our knowledge of God himself. Yes. So thinking like the, the terms of like Second Peter 2, 1, that's how we've been kind of talking in, about it on the podcast. Um, Montanism is going to, uh, we're really going to have to walk through it before we say why it's such a heresy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to start us off or you want me to? Oh, okay. I can start us off with maybe like a little bit of the history. Yeah, jump on in of Montanism. Okay, so this is this is the most Buck Wild heresy I think we've <laughs> we've addressed. This <laughs> one is Buck Wild. We're gonna have to change the title on the podcast for just for this ancient episode. heresies Buck, Buck Wild <laughs> edition. Yeah, this so, one's crazy. Montanism is uh, now. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is the the history behind Montanism is like something out of a fantasy story. It really is. It's it's fantastic. But uh, Montanism, the heresy, was named after a man named, you guessed it, Montanus, just like every other heresy named after the person who originated. Um, But he was a convert to Christianity in the uh, late 2nd century, so around AD 170. He lived in Asia Minor, which is kind of like we think where Turkey is and and those... um, what we call Middle Eastern countries now. From the region of Phrygia, which I only bring up because I'm going to bring it up later. It's one of the... And Phrygia is also mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, it's one of the churches. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he was actually a priest in a cult, uh, a cult. I don't know if it was called Sibylle or if they worshipped the goddess Sibylle, but it's this uh, kind of fertility goddess that they worshipped and it was uh, uh, kind of categorized by they would they would be, they would have prophets and prophetesses and they would kind of fall out in convulsions and have ecstatic utterances and and things like that which uh, if i can inter, in yes. you know kind of interrupt the reason so like Sean brought up that we don't know a lot about some of these these cults um, writings then were obviously a lot harder to preserve um, they were a lot harder to maintain and to you know to collate and things they didn't have you know, digital storage and things of that nature. So when we talk about these heresies, for example, Montanism, we don't have any of Montanus' writings. What we do have is people either writing in support of him or more often than not responding yeah, and yeah. condemning him. That's really what we're restricted to with a lot of these ancient heresies, how they began. We're, we're, we're talking about a couple of letters that are blasting these for heresies. Yeah. So it, it kind of just, you know, narrows the window of, of what we can sort through. Yeah. But... um Pretty early on, like, I mean, almost immediately in his... So he was a priest in this cult, and then he became a Christian. Well, he didn't really change his style, so to speak. He didn't really change his beliefs. So, Which he, is unfortunate. It's unfortunate. So he wasn't really a Christian, we can say. But he, he wasn't worshiping, or he didn't at least express that he was worshiping this Sibylle, um, or he, he might have believed that he was, that, that somehow... He was still worshiping her, but that Jesus was a representation. I don't know. Anyway, he was a cult leader. Then he became a Christian, and he just, in, uh, what do you call it, transplanted, copy and pasted all his cult worship practices into Christianity. Right. So he called himself a prophet, and his prophecies, usually he prophesied in an ecstatic state, meaning like it looked like a seizure or convulsions that he would have. Uh, he would uh, speak in, 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 in gibberish and kind of babbling and, and then he was kind of accompanied by two women who were recorded. They were Priscilla and Maximilla. Very, very, you know, Roman names yeah. they had. But uh, he was always accompanied by women. And uh, that's something interesting that I kind of wanted to bring up about when we talk about modern day. But uh, uh, it's very, very fascinating that uh, almost immediately after becoming a Christian, you know, leaving leaving his position as a high priest of Sibylle, he becomes a teacher mm-hmm. of Christianity. Like, he just sort of just moves in. Which like, Scripture warns against. Right, right, right. He's a new convert. He becomes a teacher, but he is immediately charged with, uh, like, 
heresy yeah. immediately. So Eusebius, who we've talked about, uh, is that how you pronounce it, Eusebius? Eusebius. Yeah. Eusebius. Anyway, he's uh, one of the church historians that from the early centuries that we know a whole lot about. But he wrote this quote on Montanus. He says, In his lust for leadership, he became obsessed and would suddenly fall into frenzy and convulsions. He began to be ecstatic and speak and talk strangely. strangely. And he prophesied contrary to that which was the custom from the beginning of the church. Those who heard him were convinced he was possessed, and they rebuked him and forbade him to speak, remembering the warning of the Lord Jesus to be watchful because false prophets would come. So this is... Praise God for believers who remember the warnings of of Christ. Right, right, right. But this is like immediately, immediately after he he comes to... uh, or, you know, becomes a Christian. So he he presumes to be a prophet and a leader in the Christian church, and immediately it's like, nope, this dude. And yet, somehow he attracted a large following. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah. widespread declared a heretic, and yet attracted a large enough following that it lasted for centuries after him where you could actually find uh, people who were claiming to adhere to it. We're going to argue in a minute that it's still around today. People oh, yeah. just would not identify with modernism. I don't think we have to modernism. argue. I think people probably have already yeah. pegged that. And even then, if you want to go ahead and start connecting the dots in your head, let me just relay to you a couple of the defining characteristics of Montanism. Montanism was also known as, it had two other titles that I, that I came across, The New Prophecy, mm. uh, capital N, capital P, because obviously he had new prophecies um, past the Bible, past what God had, had revealed and given to us that God said was sufficient for the, for the Christian man and woman. Um, and it's also called the Cataphrygian heresy, which is just from the region of yeah. Phrygia, Phrygia. Um, but in any case, it focused on, like like you, like John said, prophecy and tongues. Um, he talked a lot about Christian asceticism. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian asceticism just being, well, asceticism in general being denying yourself. So lots of fasting and wearing of rough clothing and denying yourself the worth, uh, worldly ple- uh, pleasures and comforts. Not which because Colossians 2 explicitly warns against right and for, <laughs> for the simple reason of they weren't doing that for no reason they were doing that to reach a greater sense of spiritual yeah. level or accomplishment they were gaining spirituality through this asceticism and that's why the bible warns against asceticism in that regard um but he also he also c- considered himself either an oracle of the holy spirit an ongoing oracle, or even the incarnation of the Holy Spirit Himself. M- yeah, Mont- he believed he was channeling like God, right. essentially. And Mont- Montanus would put a special emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. He would yeah. refer to him as the Paraclete, and his followers referred to him as the Paraclete, which is obviously a biblical word. Christ said that it'll be better for you that I leave, that the Comforter may come. Mm-hmm. The word there, Paraclete, uh, talking about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. But Montanus would take the Holy Spirit and champion the Holy Spirit almost to the exclusion of the Father and the Son. So it was a it was a religious belief system that was about ecstatic utterances, that was about new prophetic visions, and that centered around an intense focus on the Holy Spirit. Um, did you have something there? Because I nope. had one other. Okay, no, there was ahead. one. There was one outworking that I thought was just really interesting because I, I, I like eschatology and it's it, apparently there was a prophetic enthusiasm that came along with Montanism. So when I say enthusiasm, oh. what I mean is people being whipped up into an emotional frenzy over something. Uh-huh. Um, if you read like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would talk about the enthusiasts mm. um, kind of with a snarling language. He'd talk about those enthusiasts because <laughs> these are people that just get whipped up into a frenzy yeah. over something um, that is not biblically grounded. Well, yeah. Here with Montanism, we have prophetic enthusiasm. So in other words, they would try to identify signs of the times. They would try to identify um, apocalyptic, you know, world-ending signs and events. And they would go to the extent of whole villages abandoned themselves as these followers of Montanists went to the mountaintops denying themselves food, water, or anything in this life, abandoning their homes and their, their their you know cattle and their way of life and sitting on mountaintops waiting for this day of the Lord to automatically just come 
because yeah, yeah. of the signs of the times. Well, I mean, it's funny too that you mentioned that because one of his prophecies was that Christ was going to return, set up the new Jerusalem in Phrygia, which in a, in a particular town, Papuza or Papuza, uh, but but where, like where he was located. Isn't he was, that odd? Yeah, yeah, that it always happens in the town that they're located in, yeah. or at least close by. So he's in Phrygia, and he's like, "Oh, I had a vision. I had a, a you know a prophecy that Jesus is coming back, and the new Jerusalem is going to be here." And of course, it never happened right. when he said it was going to happen. But what what's so exciting and uh, and exciting and encouraging to me is that it wasn't. Uh, it's it's recorded that it wasn't really the prophecies. the The fact that he was prophesying that bothered the early Christians, or that wasn't why they accused him of being a heretic, was because he had prophecies or he had these ec- ecstatic utterances. They took their cues from the scripture. Which said very clearly in Deuteronomy 18, and and we see in uh, uh, oh where else in the Old Testament they talk about the the prophets who would Jeremiah too the prophets they they kind of pro, Jeremiah 13 I think they prophesy of their own names they say peace peace but they don't know what they're talking about right you know, this kind of stuff but they took their cues from the Bible and they said okay so you you say you speak for the Lord and you say that this is going to happen so let's wait and see and see if it happens. And then it didn't happen. They say, "Okay, so you're a heretic." Right. I mean that—that's what the Bible says. I, it, it almost reminds me of like the Bereans who Paul came to them and said, "Hey, you probably haven't heard this before. Let me tell you about Christ." And they were like, "That's interesting. Let us look in the scriptures." Right. They didn't immediately, you know, reject. and then they were yeah, they didn't immediately reject it. They didn't immediately embrace it. Right. But they were lauded, or they were uh, 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 you know commended for being faithful to the what the scripture said how we should respond to these things mm-hmm. uh, and so I really appreciate that the early church wasn't immediately like oh this is great like now we believe this now and, and you know granted there were some who fell away and there were people who became Montanists you know some who right. fell away from from uh, Orthodox Christianity and became Montanists and believe this but for the most part we see it recorded in all the church historians that he was just officially declared a heretic and if you go this way, you are not in line with Orthodox Christianity. So that, yeah. that's encouraging to me. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, I think I think the call of the Christian, and I think this this makes us feel sometimes like a stick in the mud. Um, but we are called to be holy sticks in the mud. You are called <laughs> to be grounded in the Scriptures, suspicious of things that are new, and always cautious to weigh everything against the counsel but, of the Lord. But it's never. And I'm, maybe I'm going off on a rabbit trail here. It's never like that because we always have someone. I've been listening to a lot of missionary presentations, okay? And so I go to my podcast app and I type in missions in France or missionaries in France. And there's a bunch of different people from a bunch of different denominations and church traditions. And I'll listen to them. Um, a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions than me. Uh, and I hear some very, very good and exciting presentations that say nothing Right, like right. I'll, I'll listen to some presentations and they'll talk. They'll just be exciting and really great speakers, and you hear the whole church clapping and laughing with their jokes and whatever. And then people throwing money at them. You can almost hear the money fluttering through the air <laughs> on the podcast. The audible sound of money slashing, yeah, slamming I mean, against the stage. But like we, we are so prone sometimes to whatever sounds good or whatever like makes us feel good or you know what we're so prone as Christians to do that. Yeah, and and I know that you you know, said a funny and you said we're supposed to be holy sticks in the mud, but we're supposed to examine everything against Scripture. Yes. And so if someone tells you, if they lay their hands on you and say, I've had a vi- God has given me a vision or God has given me a word and he says that you're about to come into some money soon and the next week you get a promotion, that doesn't mean that that person has actually had a word from God. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know, but so often we're so quick to like flip-flop and because it's more exciting than reading the Bible. Well, I mean, on, on a on a slightly maybe this is, you know not exactly on target, but those heaven is for real books. You oh, know, yeah. all, the, all the movies. Jesus and, and the, his and his rainbow unicorn. That's so much more exciting than what actually exactly. the Bible. Says. Yeah, so like those came out years ago, and it was just kind of the expectation of most Christians seemed to be well, they're talking about the Lord. They believe that heaven's real, and I believe that too. So therefore, even though everything about this child's quote-unquote vision that he's relaying sounds inauthentic and unbiblical, and then later it turned out to be inauthentic and made up. Yeah. Um, we just ran with it. People just, by and large, ran with it because it was a nice story, and it, you know, it, it encouraged or whatever. It's, it's, we should be 
biblically motivated sticks in the mud when oh, it comes to those things. Holy sticks. Let, let me examine that against That's the That's a t-shirt idea. <laughs> if, any, if any of you wonderful artists can mock that up, the holy stick in the mud... Yeah. I'm really worried now. We'll throw some, uh, throw some good sense, doctrine podcast at gmail.com. No, but one of the things about Montanism, I mean, since we're talking about the scripture, just think to yourself of the scriptures that would warn you against um, being blown about by every wind and doctrine like Peter talks about. Think about Second Peter chapter 2. Um, think about Galatians 1, where Paul specifically warns them, hey, if there's an angel uh, or a messenger even seeming to be coming from us, that has something different than what Preaches we have given you. Preaches to you another gospel. Yeah. Um, do not be swayed by these things. Uh, when you think about Christ's warnings in Matthew 24 and, and him talking about these days of judgment that were soon coming, he talked about false Christs and false teachers. Think about John who warned about the spirit of Antichristos, Antichrist, yeah. that's you know Jude. among us right now. Jude. Scripture is jam-packed with warnings that warn us against this new interpretation. And yet... Montanism does not seem dead to me at all, um, no, and at the no, risk no. of at the risk of you know, anytime we talk about one of these type of things, our intention is not to lambast anybody. Um, it's not to, you know, pick on certain groups or anything like that. But it is to to decry unbiblical teaching that still presents itself in the Christian church. Yeah. Modern examples including those who would claim to have ongoing special revelation from the Holy Spirit that adds to Scripture, and that that in and of itself, isn't uh, characterized by a particular church tradition or denomination. No, not really. That could just be some Bill, Joe, Bob, you know, guy who lives in Canada or a guy in the uh, heart of Africa or, you know, it could be, literally be anyone of any church tradition. If, if you're in a church service and someone stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord, um, that's not a laughing matter in Scripture. That's a big deal because if you mm-hmm. falsely claim to have a word for the Lord, like Sean said, you would have been stoned in the right. Old I was going to say the so. Old Testament uh, uh, warning against that was if you prophesied in the name of God, said "Thus saith the Lord," and it didn't happen, then you would be stoned. Yeah, I mean, it keeps you're you're, you're perverting uh, God's name. Not to mention the fact that in the in the New Covenant. If we have the completed word of God, which we do, and if we uh, if we have all that we need for godliness and for following the Lord, which we do, then what is this new word from the Lord that is suddenly needed yeah. to spur us on to something else? Yeah. Um, so that's that's one aspect of it is the the ongoing word of the Lord. I would include in there ecstatic utterances and, th- and uncon- this uncontrolled convulsing that yeah. leads to speech, and we see this. If you've watched any like Benny Hinn rallies or who's right. someone else who has done this before? So B- Benny Hinn, look him up on. Uh, if you look up, if you type in like Benny Hinn on YouTube, generally, I mean, there's probably going to be like some of his teaching, but there's a whole lot of like memes and and joke videos made about him because he'll like take off his coat. Right, this is a guy who I don't know what what uh, denomination or. Uh, association he's a part of or affiliated with, but he'll take off his coat and he'll like swing it at a crowd of people, and this crowd of people will like fall down because he'll have like thrown the Holy Spirit on him, or he'll be uh, I, I don't know if it's him, but I know that some people in the New Apostolic Reformation, uh, which is uh, that's a whole podcast, but some people in this church tradition will ha- get in, go into like laughing fits. Churches like Bethel in Redding, California, who a lot of you probably listen uh, listening may, may have sung some of their songs in church because they're like Hillsong in Australia. But uh, these churches, they'll have like laughing fits and, and, and bouts of like, like you said, ecstatic utterances. There was a video not too long ago of Bill Hybels walking through, remember that, at the youth rally at Bethel. And they had a lot of youth yeah, there. And yeah, so there's yeah. various people laughing, having laughing fits. Some of them were like rocking and crying. And they say some they're, of them they're were drunk s- in the spirit or yeah, something Yeah, some like of that. them were like speaking. And he's going through literally encouraging them and, and spurring them on to more of this. Yeah. Um, this is ecstaticism. This is yeah. this is uh, enthusiasm like, right. like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and this is kind of like uh, you know the Shakers and the Quakers kind right, of yeah. you know, inherited, inherited from that. But these, uh, which the, you probably... Just think of Quaker Oats oatmeal, but this literally, the, the the Shakers and the Quakers would have ecstatic utterances Having and shake grown up and in, quake. Yeah, and if you've grown up in the North, I mean, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, um, Quakers still very prominent, Shakers not so much, but still a lot of those same same beliefs and practices. Yeah, and and so you'll 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 be familiar with this because 
this, you, in, a, in American culture, this is what people think that Christianity is. Like, this is what you see gets posted and ridiculed a lot. Right. Are, are things where, you know, T.D. Jakes is, like, screaming in people's faces or, like, I saw one video recently where someone is like slapping an older woman out of her wheelchair and she stands up and she's like, oh, I'm healed. I mean, this is this is the, where, where it manifests today. And uh, we've, we've we've I think we've presented that movie American Gospel right. to our yes. church before. They talk uh, about this. Even, you know, Benny Hinn's uh, nephew, Costi Hinn, is, is a part of that. He's a Protestant pastor now um, and he's a part of that uh, video. But they talk about this. Uh, prosperity gospel, and they talk about the what, what do you call it? New apostolic revolution. Yeah, uh, refer, new apostolic reformation. Apostolic, reformation. Okay. Yeah, the new where and that that's the belief that uh, the people who are leading that movement believe they have apostolic authority, so that they can touch people and heal people, and they can give people the spirit, so to speak. But this is Montanism is all in this because there's this belief that you can utter prophecies and that it comes out in this. Uh, this 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 shaking this violent you know kind of like seizure like uh, episode yeah and and some people have attributed that to you might have and we're not going to go on into all this but you know some people talk about like the Kundalini spirit so if you've heard that they kind of attribute that to it's the demonic activity and things like that but but when you look throughout history you see that there's this teaching all the way back from A D one seventy yeah thousands of years ago and people now. In uh, you know, in blue jeans and plaid shirts, are kicking cancer patients in the stomach. Look it up, not joking. Kicking cancer patients in the stomach and you know, kicking demons out of them. Wow. And this is this is a part of this is Montanism in the 21st century. Wow. So uh, these things are not to be. Now we sometimes Christians look at this and laugh. We shouldn't. No. Because there not are at thousands all. and thousands of people all across the world who are deceived. By whatever this is, if it's a demonic spirit or entity or whatever, you know, by whatever this is, um, these people are deceived, and they believe they're worshiping the God of the Bible, but they're not. Yeah, and the Bible has very, like we've said, and I don't, I don't want to just keep harping on this, but it's important. Um, the Bible has very harsh warnings against those who would number one lead people astray, but specifically with those who would blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as biblical. As far, as far as biblical warnings goes, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit ranks up there at the top. Um, that's one we should always avoid. So for anybody who comes out and says to be an embodiment of the Holy Spirit speaking on his behalf, let's run hard and fast from that. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not even, let's be good Bereans, but let's do so while running. But, but that's not, so no one's, not many people are going to come out and say, and uh, come out and say, I am more special than you. Yeah. I have the Holy Spirit. You don't. But they will say things like you mentioned, I have a word from the Lord. Right. Or the Lord showed me or, you know, what, whatever. Like, and that's, I heard a long time ago, this expression, you know, we don't want to read the chicken bones. Like we don't want to be pagans in our Christianity. Um, if I see a billboard and it says, Jesus loves you, that's not a sign from God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, if it, you know, if, if I see a billboard and it says, call here for divorce lawyer right now, that's not a sign from God. Right. But a lot of times we can say, God gave me a word through this, you know, or God is speaking to me uh, through this, or God God wants me to tell you this, that is Montanism. Yeah. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's a very American trend is to, you know, I'm going through an issue in my life. I have deep, deep hurts in my life. I want those hurts to be addressed and for, for me to hear encouragement. Um, the Bible is chocked full of it. And yet, I don't know my Bible, nor do I read my Bible. But instead, when a bird chirps when I'm walking into the office, I hear the bird chirp, and I take that as a direct sign from the Lord. Yeah. Let's be aware of that. Absolutely. Let's go to God's revealed Well, how many of us have done that? I I said something last night. You know, I even mentioned John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism. He used to start his morning by flipping in his Bible and putting his finger, wherever he put his finger, that's where he believed the Lord would have him, like, you know, the verse that the Lord would have him. The old I forgot what to teach for Sunday school method. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Just flip through (laughs) But how many times have we done that? Because everyone, you know, yep. in our in our group last night was like, "Yeah, we've done that, and yeah. I've done that." Um, but that's you know that is kind of a form of trying to, I guess, conjure up the Holy Spirit uh, and kind of mystify this. But you know, what's the most what's the most telling to me? Uh, and I I've always we we kind of joke about this, I guess, in the office sometimes, or you know, when people disagree with us. 
we'll be like, oh, touch not the Lord's anointed. You know, we'll kind of, or maybe you don't joke, but I, I joke. I so never joke. I think it's funny. Yeah, you holy stick in the mud, right? I'm from German stock. We don't joke. Um, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it was it's good. Well, you mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer earlier in the podcast, <laughs> so it had to come out. Tip so, of the hat. Um, but uh, one thing that was, that I honestly, when I was reading about Montanus, I laughed when I read this. Montanus in the first century, when people started calling him a heretic and saying, no, 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 this isn't aligning with scripture. He claimed he was being persecuted like Jesus. And and here's why I laughed. Everyone does this. Every time you claim someone like some, uh, what is this guy's name? Todd white, right? He received, and I mentioned American gospel. Someone sent him a copy of American gospel, which Todd white is a false teacher. He teaches, you know, prosperity gospel. And, and he is a Montanist. Um, Look this up. I think I even showed this when I was preaching one one Wednesday night. But he, because someone sent him a personal letter, they didn't post it on the internet. It was from Costi Hinn, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I think it was. Okay, so from Co- okay, case in point, Costi Hinn. Asking him to Hinn. watch the video and to repent. Yeah, so Costi Hinn, the nephew of Benny Hinn, famous Montanist. I think it was from him. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from him. Someone related to American Gospel. Yeah. Okay, which Costi Hinn was a part of. Whatever. Someone sent him a personal letter uh, in the mail, not to be disseminated on the internet. You know, the, the the person who sent him this wasn't trying to call him out or anything. Not a Facebook or tweet yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they, they sent him a copy of American Gospel, and they said, please watch this. You know, I, I, I love you. I want you to know the truth. Uh, you know, they, they wrote him like a personal letter just, just trying to convince him. Well, he went in front of his church, which is thousands of people, and talked about how he was under attack by a demonic spirit and how he was being persecuted like Jesus. And he... He thanked God, thanked God that he could uh, suffer like Jesus for the sake of the gospel. This is exactly what Montanus, uh, Montanus did. Um, oh, you're, you're, you're saying I'm a heretic? Well, I'm just so glad that I can suffer like Jesus. This is easy escapism for so many heretics, but I see it all the time in these word of faith, prosperity gospel, Kenneth Copeland-like teachers is... They believe, even though they're flying in private jets and making more money than I can even dream to make, you know, they're like Bill Gates preaching on stage, and they, they talk about being persecuted like Jesus because people are disagreeing with their unbiblical views. Right. You know, it, it's it's so funny. And, you know, I said, like, touch not the Lord's anointed. This is when David was speaking about King Saul and how he wasn't going to be the one to kill King Saul because he was anointed by God and he wasn't going to do that. Well, prosperity gospel teachers will say— Oh, you know, don't speak out against me. Touch not the Lord's, Lord's anointed. You'll be cursed if you do this. It, it was, it's, it's escapism or a way of escaping condemnation. And Montanus did it, and it's, the same, it's being repeated today, too. And it's, and it's also claiming, because ultimately it's claiming that you have some sort of higher unquestionable authority, which is what Montanus yeah, was claiming. Yeah. I am either speaking directly for or channeling or an embodiment of the Holy Spirit. You can't touch me. The same thing would apply if someone came to me and said, you know, Josh, I'm concerned about this. I don't agree with you here. My response is never going to be touch ye not <laughs> the Josh. You know, I'm above question. No, my, 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 my encouragement is always going to be, you know, give me about four hours, bring a sack lunch. Let's go through God's word and let's actually work this out. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's where we want to go with these things. Um, not to be some unquestioned authority figure. So yeah, good stuff. Well, that's Montanism and, um, so if you're a Montanist, shoot us an email, gooddoctrinepodcast, gmail.com. Bring a sack lunch in four hours. Sack lunch, four hours, maybe a and also friend stop to drive it you home. Because you're being a heretic. Well, yeah, don't um, don't be a heretic. But this is you know, when we've talked been talking about these these ancient heresies, none of these have stayed in history. None of these have stayed in the past. They are all uh exemplified in some form or fashion today. And we you always use the term be good little Bereans, but I mean we really should be uh so closely glued on the scriptures that when the slightest deviation happens, we can point it out. Right. And, and I don't know, you know, holy sticks in the mud and all that. I'm not saying, and I know you're not saying that we have to be negative Nancys all the time no. and just like typically people that are people that would think of themselves, and I include myself in this. When we think of ourselves as holy sticks in the mud, usually what we're being is obstinate and not listening to truth. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what Scripture says. It's just that's not my opinion. That's yeah, not yeah. the way I like to hear things. That's, that's not, not my, the way I was taught. Or yeah, whatever. it's it's something of personal preference. When I say holy stick in the mud, I hope you understand my meaning. We're to be constantly grounding ourselves in God's word. Yeah, um, and and to not deviate from that. So uh, as far as um, resources are concerned, for most of these 
heresy podcasts, we've not had like particular books and resources because they're so, uh, you know, you can write entire books on, on each of these, but, um, I know there's a lot of resources on Logos. We mentioned Logos a whole lot, which is yes. this—it's a Bible software that you can download. That there is a free version of, which I'm not quite 100% sure what the extent of the free version is. But I know that even if you have the free version, every month Logos releases a free book, which is generally a commentary. So I've gotten in the span of me having Logos, like probably 50 free commentaries right. and free books. So, uh, I mean, I recommend that you sign up for Logos, you download Logos, and uh, there's a whole lot on ancient heresies. And these are, these are uh, you know, digital books that, if like, uh, we've had a lot of people ask what certain, like, scripture, biblical words are and, and theological words are uh, in our biblical theology class. Well, if you had the book on Logos, you could just double-click it. And boom, there it is in the Greek. Yep. There it is defined. There it is in other textbooks. It's really great. Yep. So we we recommend Logos, and we're um, we're I mean we're excited to to use it. I use it every single day. If you're yeah, I do too. If if you're the Googling type, um, beware of Google. But if you see something from Ligonier Ministries, we've talked about Ligonier plenty of times before. It was R.C. Sproul's ministry, um, but Ligonier has done a fair amount on ancient heresies. They have several short articles, and I think R.C. Sproul has a couple of uh, kind of publicly available teaching series on on uh, the you know, early church, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. So uh, check him out as well. Check Ligonier out. Absolutely. And since it's Reformation Month, uh, and speaking of Ligonier, they're, they've released a new podcast called they sure have. Luther in Real Time. There you go. Uh, so far there's two episodes, and uh, they're, they're, it's not... It, it's sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's two episodes a week. But what it is, is it's tracking Martin Luther's journey in, in 1517. Well, actually, his whole life. But it's tracking his journey, and they're releasing an episode, and it's kind of a narrated audio drama about Martin Luther and, and other Reformation characters mm-hmm. in real time. So it's it's really exciting. It's really well done. My favorite podcast host, Barry Cooper, is narrating it. I found out, by the way, I think I've mentioned... Simply put, before yes, and how Barry Cooper is the narrator, and I said you that mentioned them on probably half the podcasts we've known. It's because, but, but Barry <laughs> Cooper is amazing. I found out he used to be an act, like a th- stage actor, like, oh. a, like a, he, he was in the theater. So that's why he's my. He just his delivery is so engaging, uh, and his voice is so sonorous and beautiful. Barry Cooper, please hit Son- me up. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should go to let's stage work acting together. school. Get, get some better. Uh, <laughs> Better sonorous engagement on no, our podcast. No, but, but uh, Ligonier releases some great resources. They have some great resources on Reformation history and, and uh, church history like these ancient heresies. So so check them out yep. um, and uh, check out Logos Bible Software. Anything else? I don't think so. We Facebook will, group? Yes, Facebook group. Email? Email, gooddoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Q&A um, episode coming up. Yeah, but you have to give us questions. Podcast mailbag. If you are under the sound of my voice, as I've heard pastors say. I've never used that phrase. Yeah, it sounds kind of weird. It weirds me out a little bit. But um, if you're hearing this, shoot us an email. Shoot us a question. Um, give us a topic that you'd like to talk about. We'd love to answer them. Um, we will have that episode coming up, though. So this will wrap it up for Ancient Heresies. We hope it was helpful. Um, we hope you join us next week. And we do pray that your good doctrine will continue to establish good living. Good living.